0: Well, if you have your Bibles, please turn to 1 Timothy 1, beginning at verse 12. 1 Timothy 1, verse 12. And while you're doing that, I want to say something, and some of you may know the answer to and maybe you've already done this, but he is risen. He is risen indeed. That's a very traditional, familiar way of reminding us that Jesus is risen. Let's just have the balcony people do it. He is risen Let's try it one more time, balcony people. He is risen. <laughs> I really do love the balcony people, by the way. They are good people. Before I look at 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 12, um, a couple things that were on my heart that I wanted to share before we look at the passage. Uh, first of all, I know that this weekend's a big weekend for many reasons. A lot of people have family gatherings this weekend or next weekend, and I would just encourage you, if you are the host of those family gatherings, the leaders of those gatherings, to really think about how can you make your time intentional? You know, as you gather to eat and drink coffee and maybe have an Easter egg hunt, who knows, uh, would there be a way for you to talk about spiritual things, to pray, to be intentional, to talk about what Jesus is doing in your life? Because I know for me, those are some of the most precious moments with family, with grandparents. You know, you have an opportunity as the leaders of the house to set a family culture that your kids and your grandkids and your great-grandkids will remember for years to come if you talk about Christ. So I would just encourage you as a host and as grandparents, great-grandparents, don't be afraid to talk about Christ today at your family gathering, amen? And then the second thing I want you to do, would you just look around here real quick, look behind you and see who's here? Sometimes it's hard to know who's here on a typical Sunday morning. You may not recognize everyone and that's okay. But I would really encourage you, as we've talked about one anothering and loving one another, is there someone that you could invite to your family gathering today? You know, there could be a widow, a single person, maybe a family who's not from Bern originally that could use a family here. Is there a way that you could one another someone by inviting them over for lunch? Because what's one, two, ten more for some of your feasts that you're going to have today? <laughs> maybe God will put that on your heart today. I just encourage you to think about that. Well, let's look at 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 12. And if, if you would stand for the reading of God's word, and if you cannot stand, that's okay, but if you would be able to, we do this as a sign of respect. 1 Timothy chapter 1, beginning at verse 1. This is the Apostle Paul talking. And uh, by the way, there's just a lot of things coming right now. Isn't it just remarkable that we actually believe that the eternal Son of God, who's always existed, took on flesh, lived among us, he moved into our neighborhood, and then he died a horrible, shameful death on the cross, not for his sins, because he never sinned, but for ours. And then he didn't stay dead, but he rose three days later, never to die again with a new resurrection body that won't get arthritis or decay or get cancer or get sick anymore. And he is at the right hand of the father now interceding for us. And he has given us the Holy Spirit. And one day he's going to return and set everything right. Amen. Amen. Isn't it remarkable that we actually believe that? (laughs) If you don't believe that, let me just say you're in good company with the disciples. I was reading John 20 this morning and I was reading about Thomas, doubting Thomas. How would you like to have that nickname for all eternity? (laughs) He would not believe Jesus unless he saw and experienced Jesus. Some of you can relate to that. Or even in Matthew chapter 28, before Jesus gives his final great commission to go and make disciples, it says that when they saw Jesus, the resurrected Jesus, some of them worshiped him. And then you know what it says in the text? Some of them Doubted. That's always encouraged me. If you are having a hard time believing in this stuff, or know someone, that's very normal. Because it should—you should have a hard time. We're talking about resurrection. Nobody's ever resurrected like Jesus, never to die again with a resurrection body. We'll, we're going to get those resurrection bodies someday in Christ, but no one's ever done that like Jesus. That's all. Intro to First Timothy one, verse twelve. Here we go. It says I thank Christ Jesus our Lord. This is Paul talking. so that in me, the worst of sinners, Christ Jesus might display his immense patience as an example for those who would believe in him and receive eternal life. Now to the king eternal, immortal, invisible, the only only God, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. You may be seated. Well, we just heard from Karen about how Jesus has changed her life. We saw that in action as she was baptized. And now we just heard from a man from 2,000 years ago, the Apostle Paul, that when he encountered the resurrected Christ, the risen Lord Jesus Christ, it changed his life. And today we're going to look at two categories of people, two categories of people that can be changed and challenged by the risen Lord Jesus Christ. So let's look at the first category. The first category is encountering the risen Jesus Christ E-T-R-J-C for short, changes those who are far from God. Encountering the risen Jesus Christ can change any of you, any of us, anyone we know who are far from God. And we see this with Paul, actually. And I actually want to read, we'll put that slide back up in just a second. I want to read from Acts 9, Acts 9, beginning at verse 1. This is Paul, a.k.a. Saul in this text, his conversion story, his, his account of him encountering the risen Christ. Let me read this. Says, meanwhile, Saul was still breathing out murderous threats against the Lord's disciples. He went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogues in Damascus so that if he found any there who belonged to the way, that's a reference to Christians back then, whether men or women, he might take them as prisoners to Jerusalem. So do you see what Paul or Saul's goal was before he came to Christ? His goal was to hunt down anyone who claimed to follow Christ, anyone who followed Christ. And he wanted to imprison them It even says in other accounts he would murder them and put them to death. We saw that with Stephen in Acts 7. So he is on his way to do that. He is on a mission to hunt down Christians. He's really a terrorist, if I can say that. And then in verse 3, it says, As he neared Damascus on his journey, suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him. He fell to the ground and heard a voice say to him, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Who are you, Lord? Saul asked. And I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting, he replied. Now get up and go into the city, and you will be told what you must do. The men traveling with Saul stood there speechless. They heard the sound, but did not see anyone. Saul got up from the ground, but when he opened his eyes, he could see nothing. So they led him by the hand into Damascus, and for three days he was blind and did not eat or drink anything. And the text goes on to say that God used a disciple named Ananias to come and lay hands on him. That Saul believed in Jesus Christ. He received the Holy Spirit. He was a changed man. After encountering the risen Jesus Christ, he was a different man. And I believe the same is true for us this morning, too. If you encounter the risen Jesus Christ, it will change those of you who are far from God. I want to show you some ways it changed Paul and that it can change you as well. The first way it changed Paul is what I'm calling theologically, it changed his worldview. It changed everything about what he saw concerning life, about God, and about Jesus Christ. I was thinking about Paul all week, and it's just remarkable the transformation that he went through because before he became a Christian, he was hunting down Christians. Before he became a Christian, he thought that Jesus was just another guy. In fact, he thought he was a pretty lowly guy because Jesus died on the cross, and, and only the worst of the worst, only the worst criminals died on the cross because that was the most shameful way to die back then. But when he encounters Christ on the road to Damascus and he hears that voice, I can only imagine his mind must have been blown. I mean, right away he starts thinking, wait a second, Jesus is not dead. He's alive. And not only that, if he's alive, that means that God raised him from the dead. That means that God did not condemn him as a criminal on the cross and a murderer like other criminals who died on the cross. And even more than that, that means that he is God's chosen one he is the messiah that god promised and anointed from the old testament that i have been missing out on that i thought was not the messiah i mean i can only imagine during these three days when he is not eating or drinking or seeing all these things are going through his mind it rocked his world theologically and i believe the same will happen to you too if you're here this morning and you say that you're far from god boy i believe if you encounter the risen jesus christ it'll change everything about you no longer will Jesus Christ be just a man or a curse word or whatever, however you think of him. But instead, he will be the center of your, your reality, just like he was for Paul, that when Paul encountered the risen Jesus Christ, it changed everything about him, his view of Jesus, his worldview, everything. And that leads me to my second category, or second way it changed those far from God. It also changed Paul, not just theologically, but personally. So I want to read 1 Timothy 1, verses 12 and following again, part of this. Look at how Paul personalizes the grace of God. Look at this. He says, I thank Christ Jesus, our Lord, who has given me strength that he considered me trustworthy, appointing me to his service. Even though I was once a blasphemer and persecutor and a violent man, I was shown mercy because I acted in ignorance and unbelief. The grace of our Lord was poured out on me abundantly along with the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. Here is a trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance. And would you read this out loud with me? Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am the worst. But for that very reason, I was shown mercy so that in me, again, personalizes it, the worst of sinners, Christ Jesus might display his immense patience as an example for those who would believe in him. So if you are far from God this morning, if you encountered the risen Jesus Christ, it won't just change you theologically, but also personally. One of the ways that you know that it's starting to change you, even here this morning, and we see this with Paul, is it will massively humble you. Paul says he is the worst of sinners, the chief of sinners. I mean, he would know. He says in verse 16 that he becomes an example of mercy and grace to others. And this is remarkable for him to admit, because if you are the leader, basically of a terrorist organization, if I can call it that, if you are the leader, kind of the ringleader, the gang leader of those who hunt down and kill Christians, I mean, I got to think you're kind of a tough guy. I got to think you kind of think you have it all together. I mean, Paul was a religious zealot in his own way, an extremist. And yet here we see him being massively humbled. And do you know why he was massively humbled? Do you know why? It's because he encountered the risen Jesus Christ. It's because he encountered a greater glory that was so bright, it blinded him. Have you ever been in the presence of greatness and glory before in some way? Do you know what I'm talking about? Like if you're an athlete and you meet your favorite athlete, what does that do to you? You're like, oh my goodness, I just met Michael Jordan or Tiger Woods or whoever you want to put in there, fill in the blank. If you're a musician and you get a backstage pass at your favorite rock concert and you get to meet the band, what kind of reaction does that have on you? You're like, yes, I got to meet the band. And that being in the presence of greatness was humbling. If you meet your favorite politician, and maybe there's not much great about them, but if you did, (laughs) (laughs) what would it do to you? It would humble you, I think, (laughs) because you're in the presence of greatness. Well, the same is true with Paul. When he met the risen Jesus Christ, it, it humbled him. It, it shattered his worldview. It rocked his world. It made him realize that he is not that big a deal anymore. And that will happen to you as well. Because let's face it, if, if Jesus Christ is not the center of your life, church, what's going to be the center of your life? What's going to be, be the thing that you look to for glory in your life if it's not Jesus? For some of us here this morning, the most glorious thing in our life is you. It's me. Let me just say that is a sad way to live. (laughs) If you are the center of your life, I mean, how is life going for you? (laughs) No wonder that you and I, if we're the center of our lives, we get overly anxious when life doesn't go our way or overly angry or up and down. Let me just tell you, you weren't made to be the center of your life. You weren't made to be the most glorious thing in your universe. You cannot bear that weight, but there is one who can, and that's Jesus Christ. So this changed Paul theologically. This changed him personally, and then it changed him in one more way. It changed him missionally, meaning when Paul encountered Jesus Christ it changed his total purpose and reason for existence. So look at verse 12. He says, "I thank Christ Jesus our Lord, who has given me strength that he considered me trustworthy, appointing me to his service." So so God, get this. God the Father, Jesus Christ the Son, the Holy Spirit, they have such mercy on Paul that they show up, they confront him. They even forgive this murderer and terrorist. And not only that, Paul gets Christ righteousness so that when God looks at Paul or you and me when we believe in Christ, it's as if we've never sinned because of Christ. And not only that, he gets appointed to his service too. God's like, I want you, Paul, on my team. Just like he wanted Jonah on his team. Jonah, the guy who ran away in our series. And this is what God will do with your life too. If you give your life to Christ and say, God, I want you to be the center of my universe. Jesus Christ, I want you to be the center he's going to ask you to be on his team. He's going to give you a mission and a purpose. I mean, if you're here this morning and you think, boy, I'm just struggling to get out of bed in the morning, and that could be for all sorts of reasons, I know. Or maybe you think, I just don't know what to do with my life, or life is just so boring, or I'm struggling with purpose. Well, this is part of the answer to your purpose, that when you follow Christ, he gives you a new assignment. He gives you a new mission. He wants you to serve him and be in his service, no matter where that's at. And I'm not saying you have to become a preacher. I think, Karen Bowman, you don't want to become a preacher now after that being up front, do you? If you do, let's talk, okay? Uh. (laughs) No, you don't have to be a preacher. In fact, I wouldn't recommend it necessarily because God has placed you in a strategic place of influence, whether it's the factory, or the restaurant, or the school, or the family you're in, the neighborhood where you can serve God to the glory of God, where every single moment, everything you do has purpose and meaning and mission. I mean, if you're struggling with knowing what to do with your life, let me tell you what the answer is. It's to follow Christ and to glorify him wherever you go. Does that clear it up for you? It's that simple in many ways. So the first category is for those far from God that it changed Paul theologically, personally, and missionally. Let's go to the second category, and I'll be a little faster on this one. Encountering the risen Jesus Christ, E-T-R-J-C, changes those who already know God day by day. So the first category was for those who are far from God, and now it changes those of you that have been believers for anywhere from one day to, I hesitate to give an answer, 90-something years in this congregation. (laughs) You see, we never get over the resurrection of Jesus Christ, do we? We are never called to look past it or say, oh, I can't wait till the next great thing, even though we're waiting for Jesus to come back. Because the resurrection of Jesus Christ is pretty great. We are called to be changed daily by thinking of, encountering, and meditating on the resurrection of Christ. Let me show you a couple ways, practical ways this can change you. The first way is if you actually focus on the resurrection of Christ daily, It gives you hope that those far from God can actually change. How many of you know someone that's far from God in your life? How many can think of someone who's not anywhere close to God, really far from God? Maybe some of you are in that category. I mean, how many of you know somebody that if that person changed, you're not sure you would believe it if they started following Christ? Yeah. Well, Saul was in that category, Paul was in that category. I mean, he gives us hope that people can actually change. And it's not Paul that gives us hope. Jesus Christ gives us hope that the resurrection of Christ gives us hope that people can actually change. You know, as I get older, and I know I'm not that old compared to some, but as I'm interacting with more older people, it's amazing how cynical we get and pessimistic. We get down, and there's reasons to be down for sure, but we should never lose hope that the resurrection of Jesus Christ, that God can actually do a miracle and change somebody's life. I mean, do you believe here this morning that that wayward child you have that's now an adult, that they can actually come to Christ, that God can show up just like he did in Saul's life? Do you believe that boss or coworker, that coach, whoever, professor, who is such a, so far from God, so hard of heart, almost has an ax to grind against Christianity? Do you believe that God can change him, just like he changed Saul. I mean, Saul shows us that nobody is beyond the grace of God, that God can change anyone. So that's the first way it changes us, those who have been believers for a long time. That's one way. Another way, the last way, is that it gives us hope that we can actually grow into maturity in Christ, that we can actually change. I do want to see a, sh- a show of hands on this. How many of you actually made a New Year's resolution this year? How many of you, some of you are hesitant to do this, I can tell. How many of you actually have kept your New Year's resolution and changed? Wow. How many did not keep it, if you'd be so honest? There's grace here. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yep. That can be discouraging. I can't it? And the older you get, the more you realize it is hard to change at times. It's hard. But the resurrection gives us hope that we can actually change day by day. Let me give you a couple of verses that show us how to do this. And this is Paul talking because he never got beyond the resurrection. Here's what he says in Philippians 3. I want to know Christ, yes to know the power of his resurrection, and then he adds in participation in his suffering. So that's another sermon for another day. Becoming like him in his death. So Paul says, I want to keep knowing this Christ, this resurrected Lord. I want to keep beholding his glory. And then lastly this verse it says in 2 Corinthians 3 Paul says and we all who with unveiled faces that's in contrast to Moses from the Old Testament as we contemplate or behold or reflect the Lord's glory guess what happens to us Paul says we're being what transformed we're actually changing into Christ's image with ever increasing glory which comes from the Lord who is the Spirit So you, do you want to know how you can actually change Do you want to know how you can keep your New Year's resolutions? Maybe? Is you have to focus on the resurrected, glorious Lord Jesus Christ. You know, as I look at this congregation, do you know what I see? Just like when I look at myself, I see people who are made to behold glory. And we look for glory in all sorts of places, don't we? You know, as a sports fan, this time of year is my favorite time of year because it's March Madness, and it's the NBA playoffs. And you know why I watch those things, other than to waste time (laughs) and get upset? It's because I'm looking for glory. I'm not just looking for thunderous dunks and three-pointers swishing. I'm watching, in my opinion, glory. Or when you go to a concert and watch a musician, why do you go? Why will you spend hundreds of dollars to sit in the front row, and nobody will sit in the front row here at church? (laughs) Because you're looking for glory. <laughs> Why will you go to a political rally? You know, spend hours in line to see your favorite politician because you're looking for glory. Well, let me tell you something there's something way more glorious than any of those things. You have the opportunity every day to see Jesus Christ, the risen Lord, through the power of the Spirit. It says, as you contemplate his glory, you are actually transformed. Because when you encounter glory, it is transformative. When you see an amazing dunk or hear a singer sing a high note that nobody else can sing, when you see a piece of art, there's something moving about that. Well, the Apostle Paul, when he encountered God's glory, he was not the same person anymore. When Karen Bowman encountered God's glory, you're not the same person anymore. When the disciples encountered God's glory, the risen Lord, they changed from being fearful apostles to preaching, to getting arrested, to not being afraid what happened to them, to even counting it worthy to suffer for the name of Jesus Christ. They rejoiced in that. You and I can actually change as we focus on the risen Lord. Let's pray. Father, I thank you so much for the resurrection of Jesus Christ. I do. Lord, I know for some of us, we've become so familiar with it, but may you not May it not be familiar to us, Lord. May it be amazing to us. May it reach a new level. Lord, I pray especially for those who are here who may be far from you. Lord, I thank you for bringing them here. That is a sign of your grace. I pray that they would even feel a little bit disoriented by the word of God today in a good way, just as Paul was for three days, just as Jonah was in the belly of the fish. Lord, disorient them. Show them that there is a greater glory that they are looking for, and that's only found in you. And I pray for those of us who have been Christians for years. Lord, that we would not get over the glory of the risen Lord, how he is our hope, not only for eternity, but right now and Monday morning when we go to work. Father, we commit all these things to you. In Jesus' name, amen.